Blog Talk Radio. page. That's something I normally do, but y'all need to start getting used to this when I invite some people here onto the show. Nevertheless, uh, I got an hour of uh, high school, college, and professional football talk coming up here on the Great Iron Stud Show. And I do have a guest today, Sandra Ivins from 247 Sports, an up-and-coming reporter in the uh, whole recruiting game. The guy puts his work in and uh, gets behind the lines and um, talks to people that uh, need to be spoken to. And um, he will be joining me here on the show today at uh, 4.30. He'll be on at 4.30 talking to me here on the Gridiron Stud Show. And so uh, we'll be doing that. Hey, can y'all tell me who this is? Who's This is what we're doing now. This is what we got out there now. Lil Tay is uh, taking over um, social media by storm. So in case you're wondering, go go check that out. Lil Tay dominating and taking over. But anyway, what do we got going on in the world of sports? Uh, where you know, spring balls, spring ball uh, or spring football is coming to a close uh, at many of your favorite colleges, and so it's time to turn full throttle onto uh, recruiting and uh, start talking about um, who's going where. But this is the time of year where people start getting all uh, riled up about uh, who's recruiting where, and they really shouldn't um, get so wrapped up in all that. I don't trust early recruits, just uh, recruiting commits. Just not something that I do. Um, guys change their mind. You know what happens? Guys will commit early to um, – they will commit early, and right now, I would anything before the summer, I would consider early. And then it just puts a target on them and that school's back because, you know, folks are going to um, know who they need to be, who they need to go after, and that's what ends up happening. And so for the next nine months or so, because we do have an early signing period, there's a December signing period now, um, and for the next nine months, um, all the schools are going to be attacking the place that a kid has committed to. So there have been a number of uh, commits and decommits over the last couple of weeks. And, you know, the fan bases start freaking out. Um, I would not fully trust any commit that has happened um, this early in the cycle. Some of them do stick, but oftentimes they do not. So, uh, you know what, I'm going to need to take a little pause in the action here real quick. 
you know, they seem to be touting that. You know, I guess it's good news whenever you're there. But again, it's just it's this time of year, so you know, I don't know that we should be caring a whole lot about who's at the top of the recruiting rankings. I wish I could go through and take a little bit of history and see who was leading in the recruitings last year at this time and where that team ended up. I suppose this might be some kind of way to figure that out or find that out online. You can find everything else out online. But, um, I don't know, thumping your chest at this time of year about being number one in recruiting, I don't really know how much weight that's going to hold for you. But nevertheless, in case you were wondering, um, who's the top of the team rankings right now for the class of 2019 in terms of recruiting, it's none other than Florida State and Willie Tagger. And there were some concerns for Florida State fans uh, at the beginning of Taggart's tenure. There were some things there that were making people um, question if this was the right hire, but it seems to have things going right now. And so, um, but that being number one in the rankings right now is, I guess, cause for uh, something to celebrate. And so they are, and none other than Deion Sanders. Has anyone noticed just how much more Deion Sanders has become um, involved in Florida State recruiting? Can anyone um, offer any theories as to why that might be the case? Might it have something to do with um, a couple of his sons coming up in, the, uh, in this recruiting cycle and uh, the ones following behind it? Just really been... Um, heavily involved and was at um, the spring game where they quote unquote had 60,000 in attendance at Florida State. Some dispute that number. Some think it's, uh, you know, might be a Trump type of thing where there weren't as many folks uh, at that game. But he was there with uh, two of his sons. And uh, it seems that he would love for them to go to Florida State. So that's something we'll just have to follow. But just um, getting back to these rankings, uh, looking at them right now, Florida State's number one, Oklahoma two, Ole Miss. (laughs) Ole Miss, number three, Alabama four, Texas A&M five. Now, not to make light of some of these schools, but if Ole Miss is number three right now, how much do we want to really pay attention to these rankings? Not sure. I will carry on with the rest of this top ten. Seven is Georgia. You would expect them to be there. Eight is the aforementioned University of Miami. Nine, Clemson. Ten, Mississippi State. Does anyone think Mississippi State is going to be in the top ten when all is said and done? If you think Ole Miss and Mississippi State is going to be in the top ten when all is said and done in his recruiting rankings, raise your hand. Right. Uh, Wisconsin, who's typically not up there at all, is in there at 11, LSU at 12, South Carolina at 13, Washington, who just never really cares to be in the top 10 or 20 of recruiting, is sitting now at 14. Duke is 17, TCU is 16. I mean, we're talking about teams, Iowa State is 15, and uh, Ohio State is down there at 18. If you don't think Ohio State is going to be one of the top three when all is said and done, then, you know, you've gotten, you've gotten after your uncle's liquor cabinet. Right now they're at 18. So, um, again, how much importance do we need to pay to uh, recruiting rankings, team rankings? And then how much do we need to uh, pay attention to the individual recruits 
and them committing right now. Because commits are going to change hands like crazy um, over the next coming months. Um, I wrote an article as such, decommitments are, have been rising for the last three years, and they've gotten out of control. Um, we're over 500, 600, 700 of these things. So we've just started decommitment season. It's coming up. Decommitment season is coming upon us as uh, some of these guys decide that maybe that's not school that we want to go to. Can't find FIU for you here uh, on this list, Luke. Not really jumping out at me um, in the top 50. They're not there. Okay. Yeah, it'd be nice if they just didn't commit. Um, and for whatever reason, they don't follow those guidelines. They go on the visit. They get really happy about what they see. It may be the first or second place that they visited. And um, they think it's the greatest place in the world. They're not yet to go on all these other places. I never could understand that. Um, you're going on five or six visits. You go uh, to visit number two and you decide to commit. I just don't understand. Um, but no FIU. BYU is number 26 now. Um, so where are the teams in the state of Florida? As I mentioned, Florida State is number one. Miami is eight. Florida is here at 20. And let's see. Commits, the number of commits has a lot to do with um, this as well. because, And I am taking this information from 247 Sports. Um, so the way that they uh, come up with these rankings, I believe, is an aggregate. So the more commits you have, the uh, higher the aggregate um, in terms of numbers of stars or however they go about that. And so with 10 commitments, Florida State is up there at number one. Um, Ole Miss has 15 commitments already. We'll see how long that sticks. Everyone else pretty much in single digits. So that has a lot to do with what's going on. Ohio State is down at number 18 because they only have five commits. Um, we know that's not going to stay the same. Florida's sitting there with seven. Miami, Ohio is 23 because they have 11 commits. So just so you know, I'll probably ask Andrew Ivins if we have the time a little bit more about how the uh, recruiting rankings are put together and so on and so forth so we can get a little bit more insight into it. Let me talk about some things like crystal ball. If you guys have any particular questions you need me to ask uh, Andrew Ivins, who is a recruiting reporter um, based down here in Miami. He's a recruiting reporter for 247 Sports. Feel free to drop him on me right now, and uh, I will try to get those questions put forth to Andrew when he comes on and joins us here on the show. But again, we're going to talk about University of Miami Spring Ball and uh, recruiting. There have been uh, a couple of uh, D commits. Um, one in particular, and uh, we'll talk about that. We'll also uh, get into a couple of local guys that have committed elsewhere. I uh, would love to know uh, how Miami feels about that, where they stand on it, and if you're a University of Miami fan, you can talk about that. Talk about Frank Ladson, uh, wide receiver from South Bay, becoming a commit for Clemson, uh, as well as to Corey Couch, uh, defensive back from Chaminade. Uh, committing to the University of Michigan recently here in the uh, last few days. And so what do Miami fans think about that? Where did they fit into the whole grand scheme of things? Uh, I think we, we know what we get a lot when you have someone commit somewhere else. Usually, well, we didn't like him anyway, or he sucked, or uh, he wasn't a take. <laughs> That's the latest sign that comes up. So 
That's that. Hey, on University of Florida news, uh, Jake Allen, uh, former St. Thomas Aquinas quarterback, has decided to uh, transfer from the University of Florida. And just so you guys know, um, any of you coaches out there, that if you you know want to get in contact with Jake and you're interested in you know acquiring his services at a transfer, contact Sleeper Athletes for his full release. You got it. Did anyone else see that tweet? You got to love it. You know, come on. It's this guy's talking about. So has just uh, my man Sleeper Athletes has just gone ahead and inserted himself as the uh, agent for uh, one Jake Allen as he moves on from the University of Florida. So contact him for the full release uh, and uh, any other information that you may need on uh, Jake Allen. We're offering those type of services now. you got to love it. South Florida. Uh, simply the best. Sim- simply the best. I know at least one person watching this right now can uh, appreciate that line. Simply the best, simply the best. And if he's listening right now, he's going to step forward with a comment. But anyway, um, that is the situation right now. So those are your rankings uh, right now. If anyone cares, team rankings, Florida State 1, Oklahoma 2, Ole Miss 3, Alabama 4, Texas A&M at 5. In case anyone forgot, uh, former Florida State coach uh, Jimbo Fisher is now at uh, Texas A&M. So hey, Jimbo Fisher is getting it done on the trail. Uh, another thing that I saw um, on Twitter yesterday was a picture of Luther Campbell. Um, through the years, has been a big University of Miami supporter. But um, a comment made on the picture that I saw on Twitter um, made by ex-Canes linebacker Jonathan Vilma had uh, – he made the comment that he was a fraud. And how many guys has Luther Campbell sent to Florida State? I was surprised to see that. Jonathan Bellman has been on a bit of a tear and a rampage of late uh, on social media. It's almost like he's been dormant on it for a while. Um, I, you know, I got to check the age of his account. Did he just open a Twitter account? He has gone full Danny Cannell of late, um, really voicing and expressing his opinion. So anyway, former Kane's. Linebacker Jonathan Vilma uh, has called Luther Campbell a fraud, saying you've sent numbers upon numbers of guys to Florida State. Now, um, as you may or may not know, Luther Campbell has been a football coach down here in South Florida for quite some time at places like New Orleans and uh, Jackson for a little minute, and uh, now at Edison. So he's um, obviously coached several of the young players that are down here in South Florida, and as such, the, uh, with South Florida being a recruiting hotbed, um, obviously schools from all over the country come and recruit guys, but um, Jonathan Vilma feels that Luther Campbell, in terms of being a University of Miami fan, is a fraud because he has uh, sent several guys to Florida State, at least. That is Jonathan Vilma's opinion. What do you guys out there think? Is Luther Campbell uh, a legit Miami fan, or do you folks agree with Jonathan Vilma? Is he a fraud? You know, I've been called such things as that. I've got two sons that went to the University of Florida, and I played at the University of Miami, as you can see back there. See that right there? I've been called all types of names 
because my kids chose the University of Florida. I was supposed to, I guess, um, force them to go to the University of Miami, whether they wanted to go there or not. That would have been someone's idea of great parenting, um, or at least a fan's idea of great parenting. But anyway, uh, I'm not the issue here. The issue is going to be Luther Campbell and what Jonathan Vilma has said about him. So what do you guys think? Is Jonathan Vilma right? Is Jonathan, is he tripping? Um, what is the deal there with that? So uh, something else that's been rather interesting um, in the, uh, that's something that's trending on Twitter. Uh, Jonathan Vilma out there, putting himself out there and voicing an opinion. I don't know if I'm taking a page out of Danny Cannell's book. Anyone follow Danny Cannell or see uh, what he's like on Twitter? Um, I've gone at him several times because that guy just uh, is something else. Just really can't take too much of that guy there. Anyway, uh, draft talk. We are just about a little bit over a week away from the uh, NFL draft. And, of course, lies are being told and jockeying is going on. I just have this feeling with the NFL draft that we're going to get – we're going to have a ton of trades in that first round. There's just too much uncertainty. None of these quarterback prospects – are uh, Andrew Luck. And that's a question I just wanted to throw out there to you guys. Uh, in your time of following the NFL draft in college football, can you name me three quarterback prospects that were coming out that you said were can't miss? So if you're watching this right now, um, drop that on me. Three quarterback prospects that you said when they were coming out were can't miss. And also, do you think any of these guys fall into that category? Is Sam Darnold, uh, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, a can't-miss prospect? And uh, I've been saying this over and over with the uh, Cleveland Browns selection. Don't you feel like if they're going to take a quarterback, it needs to be a can't-miss type guy? And I don't know if any of these guys fall into that category. I mean, Darnold's young. I think if you're walking in a Cleveland situation, I would really like to have a guy who's Spent four years, to be honest, four years at the college level. Give me a Case Keenum type guy. I think y'all are tired of hearing me say that. But someone who's done it for quite some time, I would like to see uh, someone like that go to Cleveland. Otherwise, man, fix your team. Don't put a young guy in that situation. We don't need to see yet another failed young quarterback um, in Cleveland. We've seen that movie already. Let's not do it again. So I don't care to see uh, that whole deal again. So, um, Saquon Barkley, is he all that people are saying that he is? Is he all that he's cracked up to be? Do you guys think he's a top four, top five pick? If you were picking in that top four or five, are you picking Saquon Barkley? Are you calling him that kind of franchise back? Is he better than a Todd Gurley? Is he Ezekiel Elliott? You know, I'm, I, you know, I'm not sure. And Ricky Williams, honestly, being honest, did you really feel that Peyton Manning was that coming out? I mean, the guy had all kinds of trouble winning big games. I understand the luck thing. That's the prevailing opinion around. Um, and I agreed with that as well. It looked like uh, everything um, that you need in a franchise. And I get the whole Jameis Winston thing. But did you honestly feel that way about Peyton Manning? I'm asking that because Peyton Manning is one of my biggest misses ever. Uh, I will admit that right now. Um, did not think Peyton Manning would come close, anything close to what he ended up becoming, especially when he ended up going to uh, to, to Indianapolis. 
it was a struggling franchise when he arrived. But um, you know what Cleveland needs? They need a can't-miss guy. They would need an Andrew Luck. I would even put a guy like um, I would put a guy like Cam Newton in Cleveland if he was coming out. You need that kind of a guy. So none of these guys are like that. Sam Darnold isn't. Josh Rosen certainly isn't. Josh Allen has all kinds of issues he needs to fix. I would hate to see Lamar Jackson in that situation. Baker Mayfield um, in Cleveland would be Johnny Manziel 2.0. So I'm not interested in seeing any of that at all. Little to no interest at all in seeing that. And it sure looks like that's what Cleveland is going to do. They're going to go take some one of these young quarterbacks who probably deserve to be somewhere else, and uh, they're going to go stick them in that situation there in Cleveland. It's going to be a mess. And I just really think with all of those types of, you know, all of these high draft picks and all of these draft picks, use them all to fix your team and, you know, ride it out with Tyrod Taylor. Get what you can. When the Cleveland Browns can win eight games, nine games on their own, uh, then you say, and you're able to say, we need, what we need to get over the hump is a quarterback. Then you go get the quarterback. Cleveland needs more than just a quarterback. So, yes, Mike White, I'd like to see that as well, because I know what that means. Let's start shoving all them quarterbacks in there in that first round so we can get to the other guys um, faster. And trust me, I was sitting in that seat. Ricky Williams, you know, Josh Rosen might be a guy you like. Is he, uh, is he a transcender? Is he Cam Newton? Is he Andrew Luck? Is he a franchise? Could you see Josh Rosen going into Cleveland and being that missing piece? I don't know. So, um, you know, David Richardson, I'm not sure that – I don't I – don't, I, I think Cleveland had their mind. You bring up a good question, though. And the fact that Cleveland didn't go pushing for one of the – you know, bigger name, established free agents that just let you know what it was they're trying to do in this draft. Hey, you know, next Thursday could come around and I could be wrong. But everyone fully expects them to be calling Sam Darnold's name with the number one pick overall. And uh, I just think that's going to be um, a death blow for Sam Darnold and his career. So, hey, I've been wrong before, but I'm, you know, I'm just – not seeing that for them. So we would, we would just have to see on that. Um, I would say if I was Cleveland, get, get Saquon Barkley. Though I'm not, I don't feel he's a top five pick for Cleveland, probably a guy you could use. And you could split some of those duties with Duke Johnson, and you could have a really nice one-two punch in the backfield. Um, you know, maybe you get an edge rusher uh, that could pair up with, uh, you know, with you, you can have two great edge rushes there in Cleveland, and um, you know you have what you need. And Tyrod Taylor is certainly sufficient. He may even thrive in Cleveland. And then you get yourself a mid-round guy. You put him there and see what he has. You might surprise. You might be the next Tom Brady. But once you go and draft a guy at number one or even number four, all the pressure's on, and we all know what's happened there before. So. They might want to stay away from quarterbacks right now until they get themselves. Get yourself out of the hole, Cleveland, without the quarterback. Let's see you do that. So, yeah, David Richards, perhaps perhaps they should have picked up an established quarterback. We're going to say that Tyrod Taylor is that guy. That's the established quarterback that I think we're talking about. So, 
you know, um, let's see. Perhaps uh, Barkley will surprise people. You know, I don't think he's a top five guy, but maybe, you know, in Cleveland, he could be that. So we'll just have to see. But nevertheless, hey, it's time to flip back from um, NFL football and the NFL draft back to college football. And the person we need to do that is my, my next guest, Andrew Ivins. Well, I will, I will shower him with this praise and say he might be the fastest rising reporter right now on the scene. Can you accept that kind of praise, Andrew? Uh, you don't need to praise me or anything like that. I don't know about that. No, listen, man. It comes on all humble on the Gridiron Stead Show. But nevertheless, uh, I do have a tremendous amount of respect of the work that you're doing um, and the way that you carry yourself. So um, allow me to shower you with this praise as humble as you are. But Let's get down to let's get down to business. Um, you were at the University of Miami spring game. Give me your quick thoughts as to how things looked out there for the University of Miami. The way is, you know, either Miami's got two first round uh, draft picks at, at defensive end, or they got some major issues on the offensive line. I think it might be a combination of both. But that was the real big takeaway. I mean, Joe Jackson, John Garvin, they kind of you know, did whatever they wanted to coming off the edge. So I think that was my big takeaway. Miami still seems to be trying to piece the, you know, piece the puzzle pieces together on that offensive line. I think that's going to go all the way into fall camp. Uh, kind of hard to get a read on the quarterbacks. I mean, I liked Nicosia at different times, and I liked Malik at different times. But I think my big takeaway from the quarterbacks is I, I thought Jaron Williams looked really good. I mean, I know he's probably a, a couple of years away from, from being able to get in that starting role, but I think he showed that maybe next season he could be the guy. And I think he might even be a little bit further along than James Blackman was last year. So I think he's a, I think that was my big, my, my big few takeaways right there. Yeah. Spring games are always tough. Watching spring practice is always tough. If the defense wins, you think the offense has problems. If the offense wins, you think the defense might not be as good this year. Typically the defense is ahead of the offense in spring football. So, um, you know, I'm not sure if anyone should, you know, start panicking right now uh, with regards to the offensive line. But it is good to know that you're going to be able to get a pass rush this year. If you had to guess, Andrew, who you think is going to come out of this thing as a quarterback for the University of Miami this fall? I still think it's going to be Malik Rozier. I mean, bottom line, I, I know he has a lot of critics to, in, inside the Miami fan base. But, I mean, he's a guy who, who won 10 games and – I think he's, he gives you the best chance of winning, and especially if you look at what Miami's defense has. I think they obviously lost a lot of guys, some guys in the up, uh, up front, but that's a talented secondary. I think they're going to force a bunch of turnovers and stuff like that. So I, I think Rick Utten goes with a guy that's you know, going to manage a game and, and, and not go out there like Nikosi Perry. And, 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 you know, one play Perry will make a nice throw, and then we saw it in the spring game, and then he, he'll try to force something, and it's like, well, can you, can you do that in a game? I mean, I just think Malik Rozier loses you less less games, and I think ultimately both you know Mark and John Richter can go with the safe card, and I, I think it's going to be Malik. Um, how much is Miami going to miss Mark Walton? What's happening there at the running back? You know, I I think when they entered that, I guess the spring ball, there was a there was a huge panic, and and I think the running back depth chart situation is way better than it was going into last season. I mean. Travis Homer really emerged onto the scene there. And then they've moved DJ Dallas, you know, the high school quarterback. We all thought was going to play receiver. And then I thought he might even play corner. 
He's up to 221 pounds. He, he looks like a beast in the, in the backfield. And they got Lorenzo Lingard, the five-star running back right there as well. So I think they're pretty stacked at running back. I mean, Homer is obviously a great talent, but we saw uh, that tail end of the season, what life is like without him. So I don't think there's going to be much of a drop-off there at all. Uh, it's just going to come down to that offensive line opening up holes. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, you can look at the stats from from the, the spring game, and there wasn't a lot of rushing yards. But I don't think I wouldn't read too much into that. I think they kept it pretty vanilla. Like you said, the defense always seems to be uh, a step ahead of, of where the offense is. Andrew Ivins from 247 Sports joins us here on the Gridiron Stud Show. Um, obviously, the front seven is the biggest thing that people want to talk about um, on the defense for the University of Miami. Question marks, perhaps, in the secondary. What is your assessment of what you saw there during uh, the spring practices and in the spring game? Well, I, I think the two freshmen or early, or early enrollee freshmen they got at, at cornerback, uh, uh, DJ Ivy and Gilbert Frierson, I think those guys are going to play. I um, mean, I had been hearing the past couple of months just from people close to the program that these guys were, were dudes. And, you know, when we talk about Mark Rick reworking this roster, I mean, these are these are, these are going to be your, your number two cornerbacks. And these are guys who, who are stud recruits that everyone wanted. And I think they're really going to challenge and, and push for uh, playing time. Mike Jack, he's got that one cornerback position locked down. And it's going to kind of be a battle for that other cornerback spot. Uh, Devontae Dean got a lot of run in that spring game. I, I don't think he had the best of outings. I, I, I think he's uh, he struggles at times. So it'll be interesting to see if maybe Miami finds, move, shifts Trajan Bandy out there or they keep him in the nickel or, or Gilbert Frierson or DJ Ivy can emerge as one of these guys who potentially start as a true freshman. I'm not saying week one against LSU, but maybe some point down the line. In terms of safeties, it's looking like it's going to be Sheldrick Redwine and Jaquan Johnson. And then you got Amari Carter, who the coaches are loving, and they think he's really taking a step here in year two. What's the biggest plus that you've seen this spring for the University of Miami. What's the thing they can come out of spring ball feeling the most happy about outside of not having any major injuries? What's the biggest plus for them right now? Uh, this might sound a little a little weird. I think the big takeaway is, all right, we got all these, you know, the, I think they had eight or eight or nine early enrollees, and it's, it's not like any of them have really come in and, and, and been a bust. But I'm not saying a bust, but I think there's been some notable surprises. I, I talked about those two freshman cornerback. Irvin Hall was also having – a great spring until he got uh, sidelined with a knee injury. But, I mean, Greg Russo, he had a beast of a first scrimmage. I think he had four sacks. And then in the spring game, he had three and a half sacks. Again, uh, I mean, if you go to against the best tackles, I'm not sure. But that was a guy who I think many in the recruiting industry, including myself, I mean, we saw the upside. We thought he was going to be a couple of years away. So just to see him that far along and challenging for playing time and, uh, you know, Lorenzo Lingard being able to get in there and learn the offense, I think it's exciting just for them to see that they're getting these dudes in there and they're actually making it and making plays. I think that's a big takeaway that, and like I said earlier, just with the defensive end, uh, I mean, Joe Jackson, and John Garvin, I don't know if there's any better uh, uh, pass rushing duo if those guys are coming at you in the country right now. What would be the biggest concern, a question mark coming out of the spring? I definitely think it's that offensive line. Uh, you know, a lot of people will point to what's going to happen at the quarterback. I mean, they got to figure out some answers there. They're, they're working Navon Donaldson, uh, you know, the big mom that's out of Miami Central. He played a bunch last year at guard. They're going to try him at right tackle. I'm not sure that's a fit. Uh, they have a Tennessee transfer coming in, graduate transfer. He's got two years to play, Venzel Bolwer. Uh He was actually at the spring game in the stands. So it'll be interesting to see if he's able to insert himself in that lineup and, and really – if they can find that right mold. I mean, I think at center, Tyler Gothry, I mean, he, he's solid. But uh, outside of that, I, I think 
they're going to keep rotating guys around. So I think that's probably uh, concern number one coming out of it. And then the other one, tight end. Uh, you know, they lost Chris Herndon. That was after David Njoku the year before. No one's really stepped up. Uh, if you talk to, you know, the, the, the tight end coaches, uh, go up to his comments, you know, you got Michael Irvin and Brian Blandy. But they got those two uh, top recruits coming in, Brevin Jordan and Will Mallory. So, you know, these guys are all-American type talents. Are they going to be able to come in and, and play right away? Because it seems like Miami's going to need them to be. Yeah, there's obviously some big shoes to fill, not only last year, but over the last two years, a lot of production uh, from that position. So that's going to be interesting. When it comes to the spring game, one of the big things that also pertains to recruiting is the visitors list. So what was that like uh, for University of Miami at the spring game? Is it something to write home about? Is it something they could be very happy about? Or, you know, did it leave something to be desired? Uh, you know, if you look around the, the state and, and, and pair visitors list for what Miami had or, you know, what Florida state had and what, and what Florida had. I mean, it wasn't on, on the same level, but I don't, Miami never really build this as their, as their big, huge recruiting weekend. Um, if you go back to last month, they had that invite only junior day where basically they had their whole board up there. I mean, I think they had 20 top two four seven prospects on campus in the following weekend. They had that under McClassman day. So with that being said, I mean, there wasn't a lot of uncommitted targets there, but they did a good job of getting a lot of their, 2019 commits on campus and some priority 2020 targets like Don Chaney, that running back uh, out of Belen Jesuit. And like, you know, they got Jeremiah Payton to drive down from, uh, uh, from Jackson with the top 100 wide receiver. So it wasn't a complete dud list in any way. I just think, you know, fans like to have off season, you know, W's and right here and there. And, and Miami's visitors list might not be that impressive as a Florida state, but I don't think it was a complete wash or anything like that. Staying on what you said there about fans liking to have the offseason wins, no matter when they come from. I talked about this in the early part of the show. I'm not going to trust early commits. Um, and by early commits, I'm saying anything that happens before the summer. It's just been my experience, um, whether actual reality or just the, something, perception for me is that um, those early commits turn into decommits more often than not as, we, as the season wears on, as you get into – the uh, early part of fall and later on, um, guys that have committed this early tend it, it ends up being very difficult to keep them. Am I right or wrong on that? I, I definitely think you're right, and we especially see it down here here in South Florida. But you know, the thing I keep asking myself, and I think we're trying to figure out, is is it changing? Is it going to change with this early signing period? I mean, I know uh, you know this 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 past weekend we had schools hosting official visits for the first time in the spring and. You know, Michigan. Mm-hmm. They picked up to Corey Couch, the quarterback the, the out of out of uh, Hollywood Chaminade. They flipped him from uh, from Tennessee. I mean, on paper that looks great if you're Michigan, but now it's like, well, hey, we can't get him back up to Ann Arbor before he signs anything. So I, I think we're all still trying to figure out kind of do we take these commitments early? Do we, is it better to wait? I still think it's a bit of uncharted waters, and I, I don't really know. I mean, I, I don't. Miami, they're not really pushing for kids to get in the classroom. If they want to come on board, they're definitely going to take them. But I, I, I agree. I mean, when you take a kid this early, especially if you look at like a Florida State or a Florida, when you have these new coaching staff, you have no idea what the product's going to look like on the field. I, I can't get out of a completely different perspective of, of a school, uh, you know, six months from now after they played a few games. Yeah, uh, the early signing period obviously changes the landscape a little bit for us. So I would agree. We do need to see how this 
um, works. I just know under the previous system that existed, um, you know, you, you could go crazy um, trying to trust commits that happened this time of year or even earlier than this. It becomes very difficult to hang on to those kids for, you know, 9, 10, 11 months. So um, it's going to be interesting yeah, you're, to see. you're absolutely right. Yeah, you're ab- I mean, you're absolutely right. I, I, I just think, uh, like I said, I mean, it, it's hard to tell if, if anything's changed, but I, I think that you do run that risk, like you said, of, of locking up your class early. And I think last year Miami did a good job of keeping most of their class together, but um, you never know. It's hard to, to go all in on these kids this early. Yeah, let's talk about a couple of the local guys that ended up committing somewhere else. You already talked about the Corey Couch. What was the feeling? What's the feeling? that you get from the University of Miami coaching staff with regards to Curry Couch? Was he someone they really, really wanted to go after? Um, is, there, is he someone that they would continue to um, recruit, even though now he has moved on to his second commitment in the cycle? What's the feeling you get from the staff on, on Couch? Uh, so, so Couch is a guy who, who – his stock kind of went up, went up the board here uh, a couple months ago in that camp season. I mean, he's a guy Mike Rump has been evaluating uh, since I think Paradise Camp two summers ago. So, um, you know, was he was he Plan A on that cornerback board? Probably not, but he also wasn't Plan C. I mean, he was a guy that uh, the coaches liked. I think coming out of that invite only junior day, they would have definitely taken a commitment. Um, from what I heard, I think Miami's a little surprised that he did flip to Michigan, but. I, I expect, you know, if Miami wants him in the class, I think it's going to be uh, pretty easy. I mean, not saying easy. I think they're going to have a definite chance to flip him just for the reasons, like I said. I mean, when's the next time he's going to be able to get up Ann Arbor? You know, Miami's a 45-minute drive down I-95. He's already got a few of his teammates there. So, I thought it was a little bit surprising. Uh, you know, you talk to the Michigan writers, they, they tend to think that uh, the Wolverines like bigger cornerbacks, and I wouldn't really describe Corey as that. I mean, he's a, he's a very talented technician, but he's not the biggest kid out there. So, um, I, I don't think it's a huge loss for Miami. I just think maybe if they strike out on some of these bigger targets, it, it could end up hurting at some point down the line. But, I mean, you, you can only take so many kids at, at a certain time. So, Let's talk about Frank Ladson, the uh, wide receiver out of South Bay. You know, made the trip out to Los Angeles with South Florida Express a couple of weeks ago. Um, he was one of the more impressive guys, not only on South Florida Express, but, you know, throughout the entire event. And, uh, you know, he ends up committing to Clemson this past weekend. What's, uh, what's the thoughts there for, for Miami? Um, I, I, you know, obviously this is a guy they're going to continue to recruit. But um, we kind of know what the deal is with Clemson. You know, you commit to Clemson, yeah, I mean, you Clemson. Yeah, and Clemson's recruiting at an elite, elite level right now. You know, I, I saw someone on Twitter, they were talking about uh, Kevin Harris, the top 247 defensive end, he's visiting Miami uh, this upcoming weekend. And, and someone's like, well, Clemson leaves on the crystal ball. I'm like, well, he's not a, he's not a take right now for Clemson. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, Clemson is recruiting on that level. I mean, they're just pulling dudes from wherever they want. Uh, they seem to, once they sink their teeth into someone, they're getting kind of who they want. And, you know, Ladson was a kid that Miami's been on since his days at, at Miami, Killian, Miami Killian. I mean, Ron Dugans has done a great job. I just think this came down to uh, Ladson believing in, in Dabo Sweeney and Jeff Scott and the history they have of developing receivers and, and putting them in the league. Uh, I think that Ladson was looking for the uh, – he's looking for a, a school that's going to take him and put him there. I, I don't think he's fully bought into Miami doing it. With that, with that being said, I, I think you, you nailed it on the head. I mean, Miami's going to continue to recruit him, continue to chip away at him. Um, 
I already mentioned they had Jeremiah Payton, the, the top receiver out of Jacksonville, already committed. I, I, they would like to add a second to the class, but I honestly think they could get away with just taking one this cycle if Payton was your guy, just based on what they brought in last, uh, you know, last cycle in, in Mark Pope and, and Brian Hightower, who looked like a complete stud in the spring game. So not all is lost, um, but it'll be interesting. It seems like, uh, like you said, once you commit to Clemson, you're, you're pretty locked in. Yeah, that's been the case. How much then, uh, based on what you said, should fans care about Leonard Manuel not uh, decommitting? Well, this one's kind of a recruitment that, I mean, I think this one's going to have plenty more twists and turns. I mean, don't get me wrong, Leonard Manuel, I think I saw him uh, in the state playoffs. You know, he went both ways, wide receiver with playing state. He had 6'5". Then I saw him at a few camps uh, in January. I mean, the kid is just a complete stud. I mean, he is a top talent no doubt um personally when i think he committed to miami back there uh in november do you remember right when that was that was right after the notre dame game so that was when miami uh was the darling of college football i mean you turn on espn you saw a commercial with the turnover chain uh at least once in 20 minutes so i think he's attracted to what's shiny miami night might not be the shiniest thing right now so that's why i think we've seen the second decommitment from him I think Miami will still be involved down the line, but, uh, you know, right now Georgia's hot. Uh, Florida State's definitely hot. So, I mean, should Miami fans be concerned? Absolutely. I mean, this is the number one player in the state. You always want to recruit the state uh, well. But I think at the same time you have to understand that this is just one of those kids where there's going to be plenty of ebbs and flows. He knows it. He's a stud. I mean, he's got everyone in the country after him. So, um, you can't not take that commitment. I mean, you got to. It's the number one player in the state once in. It's just kind of the reality. Well, you did mention them, Florida State, and then they've made no bones about uh, their excitement about being currently the number one ranked team in the class of 2019 in terms of team rankings at 247 Sports. Um, how important is that this time of year? I started reading off some of the uh, names of the teams in there, uh, like Ole Miss, um, and and we've got Wisconsin at 11 and Washington at 14, Iowa State at 15, and Duke at Ohio State at 18, you and I both know Ohio State won't be anywhere near 18 when it's all said and done. So how much should um, fans really care about where team, where you are in the team rankings right now? And mind you, they're going to ignore whatever you say, but say it. <laughs> I mean, I, I think there's a few different ways to look at it. I mean, I think if you're a Florida State fan, I mean, you should be absolutely fired up. I mean, you got a new coaching staff over there. You had all that energy from – uh, the spring game, and I mean, it's what you want when you have a, a coaching turnover. You want you want all this excitement. You want to be at the top of the rankings because, like like we talked about those off-season Ws right now. This is the closest thing you can get to one, and this is signs that hey, this era is going to work. Um, now let's see what it looks like a, a, a couple of months from now. I mean, once some, some of these other schools really start recruiting, I mean, Alabama, we all know they they don't really don't recruit right now. I mean, they kind of turn up in, in in November, December, and January, and they pretty much get the guys they want. So. I think there's some merit to it. I think uh, at the same time, you have to understand some of these commit lists that are 10, 12, 13, 14 kids right now. A lot of times those, those commit lists get worked. Um, you know, coaches go out the road for that spring evaluation period. Might not like a kid as much as they did when they took the commitment a couple months ago. So um, I think there's some, there's some value to it. But like you said, I mean, it's not the end all be all. Uh, Ohio State is not going to finish number 18 in the country. They're definitely going to be up there. But I, I think, uh, you know, it should be concerning if, if you don't have a pretty good idea of, of who your top targets are. Yeah, 
Well, last thing before I let you go, what's the biggest need for University of Miami in recruiting right now so far as this 2018 class is concerned? Uh, I think right now it's uh, it's the offensive line. Um, you know, it's the same. It's, uh, it's like I'm repeating myself from talking about the spring game, but uh, – you know, you know, Miami brought in plenty of talent uh, on both sides of the ball last cycle in that, in that Storm 18 class. Um, you know, they always want to recruit the Tri-County area. They're always going to stay in-state. But you know, we all know, and Howard Schellberg has talked about this, I mean, everyone's like, this area really doesn't produce a lot of linemen. So, um, you know, Dante Lucas, I know he's at IMG Academy now. Him, him going to Florida State, that's a bit of a blow because he's a guy who Miami was in pretty early on. I mean, Mark Rick went to hit one of his games last year. He was at Miami, Miami High. Uh, they got a center committed out of uh, Jacksonville Kingsley. Yukagen, I think he's a complete stud, a steel, real athletic kid. But they need to find some true tackles. Uh, they got one coming on campus this weekend and Michael Tarquin. But uh, I think that's the big need right now, I mean, are we going to see them expand this recruiting board once the coaches get out of the road? I would think so, but uh, they need to find some some dudes on that line. That's just my opinion. Yeah, um, and so we'll just have to see what kind of uh, inroads they make there with that because, you know, we've got a combination of um, it looks like coming out of spring ball and need a lot of help on the offensive line, and then that's also a need in recruiting. So are going to have to step up their efforts there. Well, listen, Andrew, um, I appreciate you coming on and talking with us on the Gridiron Stead Show. Always good to get some insight on um, the recruiting, especially down here at the University of Miami. I appreciate that you have me on. Yeah, no problem. And you'll be on more, too, so get yourself ready. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll talk you later. Bye. All right, Andrew Ivins from 247 Sports joins us here on the Gridiron Stead Show. Um, always a pleasure to talk to him. Um, the guy's always on top of the uh, – his craft, let's say, if I can use that word, um, knows what he's talking about when it comes to recruiting. He's a man that seems to be able to get the information and uh, does a pretty solid job with all of that. Um, just to touch on some of the things that Andrew spoke about here with us, in terms of the quarterback battle, I'm going to agree with some of you guys that are watching the show right now. I think it's, um, you know, it, experiences is a big deal and experience is a bigger deal than I think fans want to admit to. They always want the new guy. They want the new, the guy that, you know, is not starting. They love the backup. The backup is always the most favorite guy on the team, but Rozier went out there and took his lumps last year. He played in some big games and that has to account for something. Um, you grow up off of those kind of things. And for all you guys wanting Perry in there, yeah, he's, you know, a physical talent. And I know that's attractive, the fans, but he's going to go in there and more than likely struggle the way Rozier did at times because it's tough when you start out. So, um, you know, we will see how this whole thing works out. But I have to agree with, with, with Andrew Ivins in that I think Rozier, just on experience alone, is going to end up being the guy at quarterback for the University of Miami when the fall starts. You know, they'll take this thing into the fall and battle. But, um, you know, if it's close at all, you got to go with the guy who's had the experience. I mean, Rozier's played against Clemson, albeit not the way people wanted him to play. He played in the game against Notre Dame. Um, he played in the game against Florida State. So just think of that alone right there. Games against Florida State, Notre Dame, and Clemson, it's not the kind of experience you're going to want to go sit on the bench. And so uh, I would expect to see him come out ahead as the quarterback for the University of Miami. Good to hear that, um, you know, I don't want to sound like this, but that Miami's is okay at running back. 
um, with the departure of Mark Walton. So, um, you know, we, things will be okay there. So you're going to need that running game to, to, to keep people, you know, off balance. So, you know, that's, that's good to hear that. The whole offensive line thing, I feel confident that they'll get that worked out. It is a concern. Um, that's, you know, next to quarterback, probably your most important unit. Because if you don't have things straight on the offensive line, nothing's working. Okay, your plays aren't going to work. It's not going to matter what it is you're trying to call. You can't protect the quarterback. The passing game's dead. If you can't open holes, there's no running game. You really have no team, to be honest. You're just going to be relying on defense and turnovers and special teams. And uh, I've seen that movie. That uh, doesn't end very well. So um, a little bit of a concern, but I think that um, the University of Miami will find what they need here and find the proper rotation and bodies that they need to get in there to get things done. So that's going to be that in terms of uh, University of Miami. So um, it was great to have Andrew Ivins on. Another thing that we talked about here was, um, you know, the, the local guys heading elsewhere, um, Latson heading to Clemson. And as Andrew Ivins said, he just thinks that Latson believes in what's going on there, Clemson, especially at his position, their ability to develop wide receivers, their explosive passing game. And help. They've been in the championship game two out of the last three years. Um, so there's a lot to like there at Clemson. I'm sure it hurts for, for University of Miami fans out here to see such a um, great local talent heading out of state. But, you know, let's just be real here. There's a lot of talent down in this area, and it's going to be difficult to get everyone on that same roster. No one wants to sit the bench. Times have changed. No one's okay with red shirting. Um, if you're anywhere in that top 100, um, it's a slap in the face for you to, you know, get a red shirt when you go somewhere. And for that alone, you're not going to be able to stack rosters um, at a, down here in a place like the University of Miami. So much talent here. And these guys know each other. And the moment um, you start recruiting a bunch of big names at a certain position, guys are going to fall off. And that's just the way that it works. Um, I know University of Miami fans get kind of fanatical about that. Um, they get upset when local guys leave uh, because they want things to be like they were in the old days. But there was no Internet then. Uh, and so teams didn't come down here. Colleges weren't coming down here and getting the visits up there. And camps weren't such a big deal. A lot has changed over the years. So uh, these guys get out of state. Um, they get in these caravans and they go to these other schools and uh, they – see what all these other places have to offer. And it wasn't like that back in the day. You went to Florida State, you went to Florida, and you went to Miami. Those were the trips you took, and maybe you went out of state to one school, but you didn't have this wide look at what the entire country has to offer. Now, I've been to USC's camp several times uh, out west, and I've seen a host of South Florida guys there. That's something that just never happened before. You wouldn't get um, South Florida guys taking a trip out to USC and UCLA. And so um, we had that just a couple of weeks ago um, out there with, with the Adidas 7-on-7 seven seven tournament. You had the 7-on-7 seven seven teams go out there to play, and, you know, two or three of those teams were from South Florida. You may have had three or four teams from Florida in general. And so they had the opportunity to go visit USC and UCLA. Again, these are things that didn't happen. So the, the borders have been opened up, and guys are able to see all these other schools. And with that being the case, you can't expect these local athletes to just be okay with 
coming to the University of Miami and backing up a guy that's ranked higher than him, a lot more highly. Um, it's going to be difficult to get a four-star guy that's ranked in the top 100 to go um, back up a five-star guy and just say to himself, oh, I'll just sit here and wait until, you know, he's gone, and then I'll jump in. Not when they can go to one of these other schools that has a need and can play right away and even put themselves on the level of the five-star guy that people want them to go to the University of Miami and back up. So if you're being honest with yourself as a University of Miami fan, that's one of the biggest things as to why the rosters aren't stacked, um, why it's very difficult to build another team like the one we had in 2001 and all the teams in the early 90s and 80s. It's the, the borders have been opened up, and that's quite honestly the way that it is. So um, we're not going back to uh, 2001 and 1992 um, and 89. You know, we're not, it's not like that anymore. Kids are going to get around. They're going to see things. Um, and they are going to be convinced, coerced, whatever, um, into heading to some of these other schools where there's where there are openings in the depth chart. And it's a little easier to make that move when you've taken the trip out there to these schools and you see what they have to offer. You can picture yourself playing at that school. And, again, this is something that wouldn't happen in the past. Yeah, they would be the roster openings. But you were left to wonder and guess what it is and what it looks like in Michigan, what it's like to live in Ohio State, um, what East Lansing is like. Kids take trips to these places now. You know, they go to West Virginia. They take trips to Maryland and all across the SEC. I mean, there was a time where, you know, you were down here in South Florida. You had to wonder what it was like out of Tennessee. You just weren't going there in bunches. You know, every now and then we would have – you know, a college program come into South Florida and start a little run. You know, Auburn had a nice little run out of Broward County and Dillard High School, to, to be exact. But now, instead of just one school, all these schools come down here. You know, God knows Alabama's come down here and plucked some of the top talent out of this place. Amari Cooper, to be exact. They came down here and got him. And they've done it time and again. So, uh, Jerry Judy, who's currently at uh, the University of Alabama. They get these guys out there on these trips and, um, you know, it becomes okay. It becomes okay to go to Alabama. Been there. It becomes okay to be an LSU. It's not a dream. It's not anything you saw on TV. You're not going off of some movie you saw. You actually went to Baton Rouge and saw what it's like. You know? So that's the big difference. And, you know, it's tough for someone, some of the younger fans, uh, I noticed the younger University of Miami fans are the ones that seem to have all the energy and get upset because they're coming on the scene now. And what they want is to feel like the fans back in 1991 or 2001 felt. They want that same feeling. They want to go to the games on Saturday and know your team is going to win, that you have the most dominant team, you have the biggest and the best athletes, and no one can touch you. And all these kids are right here from the backyard. They want to feel that because they were either not born back in those times or they were super young and weren't, don't really remember what it was like. So they get upset when young guys go elsewhere. And the truth of the matter is these kids are more savvy now. The borders are open, and they're going to pursue the best opportunities. And when you see some of these young guys leave South Florida and they go to another school 
and they achieve all of the success that they wanted. So they go to a Clemson or an Alabama or um, an LSU or Tennessee or even or even USC. And uh, three, four years later, you see them walking across the stage and shaking hands with Roger Goodell. What are you going to say? They made a mistake. They did make a mistake. They achieved the things that they wanted to achieve. And some of them, um, along with being a first-round draft pick, played for a national title, won a national title. They were in a college football playoff. So um, the adjustments are going to need to be made down here, both by the fans and by the University of Miami, in the way that they recruit and understand that you can't go chasing 2001 and the 90s and the 80s. It's a different world. It's a different landscape. And programs before the University of Miami came on the scene had to deal with that. Did you know that Army and Navy dominated college football at one point? It's not like that anymore. It's definitely not like that. So um, Notre Dame, uh, when I was growing up in the 80s, was a beast. Not, it's not like that anymore. Things change. And so you either make the adjustments um, or, you know, you are going to be one hell of a mad fan. Truth is, the truth of the matter is, it's a lot of young talent down here, and you're not going to ask um, a four-star or maybe even a three-star who's a very good player to go to the University of Miami and back up a five-star for three, four years. Not doing that. They will quicker go to West Virginia. They will go to Syracuse. Um, they will go to all these other places. They'll go to Maryland, NC State, North Carolina. They're, South Florida is littered all over the college football landscape, and these kids um, – on top of that, on top of everything else, again, you do have the internet, so it's very easy to go log on and look at people's depth chart. You can see where the holes are. And so you very easily can say, instead of going to, uh, you know, Florida, Florida State, or the University of Miami and backing up um, the number one guy in our state for three, four years, I can go right now to uh, NC State and I could be a starter um, by my second year. You can tell a kid no to that. That's a bad idea. I know you guys want him to stack onto the roster, but that's not the way that that goes. So um, that's just a little insight into how things are going. I don't know if you needed me to tell you that, but if you did, um, I was happy to tell you because that's how this thing is going now. So nevertheless, that's our show this week. I'm back next Wednesday um, with another guest. And more recruiting talk here on the Gridiron Stud Show. I want to thank all of you that joined me here on the show and asked your questions today. If you're watching the archive version of the show, feel free to post your comment or ask your question. I do look at the comments later on. and We'll be more than happy to uh, engage you in the comment section of the Gridiron Stud Show. But again, thank you for watching. Back on next week. Enjoy the rest of your day. Gridiron Stud Show.